right, welcome back, everybody. This is episode 31 of the Independent Intel Podcast. I'm your host, Kimbu Bomani, and I'm right here with my right-hand man, Ace. Ace on, Dawson. Man? man, he's here. We were talking about the Western Conference preview in NBA basketball. Preseason is already happening. We hear the noise and whatnot from the East Coast to the West Coast, but we're going to touch base on the Western Conference. It's got all the storylines, got all the teams to look out for postseason night. It feels like even the rebuilding teams got an intriguing storyline to talk about. Ace, we dive right into it. Let's talk about, you know, what the West is looking at in terms of how things might shake out this season. Oh, man. Um, it's so like it's so many teams, like it's so many like different storylines and different um, outcomes that you can come up with. You know, I'm a Laker hopeful. I'm a Laker fan. But um, when you discuss some real realist, you know, realistic situations, it's so many. I mean, however you want to kick it off, man, however, whatever team you want to start with, you'll like we'll see how these different storylines unfold. I'm excited to talk about it. Yeah, man, me too, me too, and we're going to dive right into it. The Northwest Division, we are just talking about these guys before we even hopped on the pod officially. Mm-hmm. The Minnesota Timberwolves, their team last season didn't really end it how they wanted to. They actually started the year off 2-0. Carl messes up his wrist. They take a nosedive. D'Lo gets hurt. But when D'Lo, Carl, and, Carl and Anthony Edwards are all playing together, they were almost a 500-plus team, and that's the core they want to build around moving forward. So when you're looking at this Minnesota team, Ace, playoffs is a possibility for sure. Most definitely. Maybe even a playing most spot. Definitely. What do they need to hone in on the most to achieve that standard this season? For me, um, when discussing uh, Minnesota, um, I believe one health, you know, you got to keep Cat healthy in all aspects are just, you know, the most recent injury. Keeping him healthy. Um, Keeping Dilo healthy, he's had some complications, not as major, but keeping him healthy, um, allowing Anthony Ed- Anthony Edwards to um, show the growth. Um, we know, I mean, he was probably a couple games more from being, you know, rookie of the year. Um, just Lamelo was clear cut, but. Um, a lot, I mean, and then you have the intangibles, you know, your supporting cast has to show up. Um, I think they have every potential to be, they're going to be a play-in team, not because of lack of talent or lack of, um, you know, lack of being, being there or whatever, or experience, just the fact of the competition in the West and the conference that they sit. It's not, it's not going to be a cakewalk and they're too young. And so like, you know, you still playing Utah's of the world, and we'll get to them. I don't have faith in them, but when it comes to Utah versus Minnesota, I'm taking Utah. You still have Lakers. They're not going to beat LA. Um, you're not going to beat Denver healthy. I mean, these are teams that you have to worry about and factor in, and you're playing these teams four times. And I don't think you're you're winning these series out. So, with that being said, I mean, Minnesota will definitely fall to that ninth, tenth spot, respectfully. But um, I, I like they're they're on the upside um, of everything that they're going to. It reminds me of a younger, more gelled version of when they had Jimmy Butler and you know the whole Jeff Teague supporting cast going on. But they'll be exciting to watch. They will be exciting to watch, and I just want to piggyback from what you're saying. Health is important for this for these for this unit. 
you know, D'Lo and Carl, they're important to their identity offensively. Pick a roll opportunities, ceiling is through the roof. Towns, you need him to write, really get back to what he used to represent defensively on both ends of the floor, not just protecting the rim, but just being a factor, maybe allow him to play closer to the basket. But the biggest thing for the Wolves is just having a defensive identity and establishing right. it consistently. They got Chris French from Toronto because of what he brings to the table defensively. He's from that Nick Nurse tree. And you add a guy like a Patrick Beverly in a trade, might not look like the greatest pickup of the world, but for what the Timberwolves are trying to build, it's important. And we, I saw in the preseason when they played the Pelicans, the impact defensive plays that Anthony Edwards was making, Carl Anthony Towns was making, just the energy level that they had. And the biggest thing you want from your best players is you want them to set the tone defensively and everyone else will follow. Everything around that, the consulary parts, Nas Reed, Josh Akogi, uh, Jay McDaniels, those guys are going to be important as well to fill everything in. In the West, what does matter is you need to play, have some level of defensive identity. I know when everybody thinks of the West, it's scoring, but guys play both ways too. And you need to have yeah. depth. And for depth to be a factor, guys do need to stay healthy. And then when the healthy individuals, the starters, head to the bench, your second unit guys can come in and make waves. They lost a Ricky Rubio. I think that'll be a tough loss in terms of what they can add from the second unit perspective. But I think get, you know losing Rubio and being able to Add a guy like a Beverly to enhance your defensive identity will go a long way. You said right. they were a nine or 10 seed potentially. Um, so for Minnesota, in your opinion, is it playoff or bust for them considering where they have been the past few years? And if they're able, if they're not able to achieve it, do you have to go back to the drawing board this offseason, next offseason rather, and potentially blow it up? I don't think it's playoff or bust. I won't say that. Um, I do believe this will be if they say they don't make the playoffs, but make the play-in tournament. That's a step up. As long as you don't regress and you're still progressing on what you have, it'll be attractive. Not for like a top-tier free agent, but it'll be an, it'll be attractive to build something solid again around them, and you know maybe working their way back up to the, you know at least top five seed, top six seed. Um, and then you won't be a playing team anymore. Now, if you go backwards or you stay stagnant, you don't see the playoffs at all, you know, people get hurt, stuff like that. And now you're at the drawing board like, well, uh, we got to shake house. Something got to happen. But I think if they at least see the play-in, you've reached some type of potential. Now we need to go on the new heights. We need to be able to see, okay, how do we build on this? What do we need to add? What do we need to take away? you know, in order to get to that next level. Yeah, I've always said this about teams like Minnesota, Sacramento, New Orleans. Last season, you saw the rise, the meteoric rise Phoenix had and Atlanta had. Teams that were always at the cusp of a lottery the past four to five mm -hmm. years take that next step to compete in their conference to get to the NBA Finals. So Minnesota's probably, they're looking at that as a measuring stick. You don't have to get to where they finished but you want to at least make it to the playoffs and make some noise there. And I think that's important for the Timberwolves. They have all the right pieces to do so. It's about health, establish a defensive identity. They can honestly go a long way. Next team up, the Trailblazers. Now, Portland, they brought in Chauncey Billups, so he's a new voice within the locker room at the head coaching realm, but they still have yep. the same personnel. They still have the backcourt known as Damian Lillard and CJ McCollum. Yusuf Nurkic is still their center. 
Robert Covington is still playing on the wing. This is a team that added some levels of consular parts that they hope can provide them some aspect of three-point shooting, defensive identity. They added Cody Zeller and Ben Macklemore. I mean, guys that, you know, they're guys, they're, they're pieces. Right. Look, um, it's pretty clear that Damian Willard is, wants to stay here. He wants to stay in Portland, and he feels like he can win a championship there. I've always felt like, well, I don't see a title being achieved in Portland. There is a level of duality that Lillard can adopt as a player to enhance that team's productivity. Do you feel like if Portland's play style was a little bit different or it becomes a little different this season, they can at least go farther in the postseason than they usually do as a franchise in the Lillard era? No. And I say that as respectfully as possible because I really, I really love D Lil and I love, you know, the loyalty aspect that he brings to the table. I love that you want to be the, you know, hometown hero. Y'all know I'm I'm a big fan of Kobe. And one thing that I loved about him was that you stuck it out with the with the franchise and you have a talent that you can take anywhere and anybody will take you and won't pass up on you. However, you gotta go back to the drawing board like okay what am I here for like you can make a name for yourself and say you had great playoff runs or actually say you took something away from the game and this is just talking about Dame individually I hadn't even reached the iceberg of the team yet but for me personally in order if I'm Dame either you bring something to the table for me to win or I have to go and they don't have a team that's there for him to win with i mean look at who you who you're going against in the west they, like how I just mentioned with minnesota and so you're not going to beat the la's of the world you're not going to beat denver and you're the only one taking these responsibilities and putting the team on your back you're not going to do it so and cj hasn't really took his game to the next level we've seen glimpses of it when dame went down a few years back he was hurt we've seen glimpses of it but dame, i mean cj hasn't really you know, became that beta dog behind, you know, how Clay took the backseat to Steph. If Steph was, you know, having an off game, I know Clay got me. Clay having a bad game, Steph got me. Dame doesn't have that, you know, confidence in CJ. Then, you know, you lose somebody solid in Melo. You don't have that backup anymore. Um, you still got Covington, but I just, I'm not buying in on him, man. And it's like, the West is so tight. If you slip down, any of those top tier teams, those top three, you're, you have a first round exit in five. Respectfully. Yeah. <laughs> with with the Blazers, I'm just really agreeing with what you're saying. You know, Dame's in a tough spot in his career. I don't feel like at this point he wants to change and really is willing to change as a player. And I can understand why he's accomplished so much in his young career from where he came from in Weber State to Weber State to what he is now. But I'm looking at this roster and their starting lineup consistently, as long as they stay healthy, is the backcourt, Lillard McCollum. It's Norman Powell at the three, Covington at the four, and Nurkic at the five. So you got three guys on the wing that can get a bucket. Covington yeah. can defend, can shoot a three. Nurkic can, you know, pick and roll potentially and protect the rim somewhat. Uh, the biggest issue I have is. I don't feel like in that lineup, and there's a ton of lineups that they have coming off the bench that kind of do the same thing. I don't feel like there's anybody on that team can get the basketball and create other shot opportunities for his teammates effortlessly 
to where they're able to adopt the man movement, ball movement philosophy that Phillips wants to. I don't see it. Lillard is not right. a traditional point guard. McCollum, who I feel would play even much better, I think, offensively, moving without the basketball, doesn't do that enough. Norman Powell has expanded his game for what it used to be when he was in Toronto, a developmental guy out of UCLA. But he even needs the basketball, I think, to be productive more so than spotting up. And so now you got three guys that need the basketball to be productive offensively. Recipe for, in my opinion, stagnation. And then defensively, I don't really see a guy other than Covington. Yeah, they added Larry Nance. He gives you some level of flexibility if you want to go small. There's just not enough guys for them to be successful. I think what could have helped this team is getting a guy like a Ben Simmons, who is a defensive player and has offensive upside that maybe Billups can untap, allowing Lillard to play off the ball even more. They're just going to stand packed within their roots. And what I saw in the preseason when they played Golden State last night doesn't look promising. It looks like the same brand of basketball we've both seen out of Portland for years. So right. I think with Portland at this point, I've continued to say it, and I'm going to say it again. They can't achieve what they're trying to achieve. I don't think they'll come out the West, but they can have postseason success if their best players take somewhat of an offensive step back as being individual stars and make everybody yeah. else on their team better. That's going to honestly come down to Billups drilling into his guys' heads. We need you to play a little bit more differently for us to yeah. achieve success in the West. Definitely agree. Definitely agree. I don't even have anything else for him, like really, because I mean, it's, it's with this with this season with Portland, it's like time will tell. We'll see. Um, maybe they make some, you know, in season moves. Maybe something happens. Even then, I don't think any move is going to be major to change the outcome. That maybe they squeak out of the first round and keep having these second round exits. We don't know. Um, but it'd be fun. It, it'll be fun to watch. I mean, I love watching Dame's game overall. Um, you know, it's electrifying, but electrifying Dame only gets you so far. Yeah, electrifying Dame is great to watch on League Pass, but yeah, when, when it counts, you know, in the postseason, he's nowhere to be found. Now, up next in the division, the Utah Jazz. Um, Ace, you just talked about before the pod, and now you get a chance to go in depth on it. You don't trust Utah. And I'll be honest, I don't really trust them either. Uh, this is a team they've played two different styles of basketball under Quinn Snyder, and they've both backfired. When they had Gordon Hayward, and earlier part when they had Donovan Mitchell, he was developing into the all-star talent that he was. They had two guys that could get their yes. offense individually in, on the perimeter, driving to the basket, and then everybody else was kind of like slashers, or they played closer to the basket. This past season, they adopted that Houston Rockets mentality that led the Rockets to the conference finals before they lost in seven to Golden State, where everybody except the center shoots threes. Um, opening the lane, allowing dribble drivers to get to the basket, it activates a higher level of productivity and pick and roll sets. They did that, yeah. but we saw in the Clippers series, they lived and died by the three, and they ultimately fizzled out because, let's be honest, they don't have – legendary Hall of Fame shooters like Steph Curry and Klay Thompson. So you can only live so far by that. In your opinion, Ace, what brand of basketball does Utah need to adopt for them to get to where they need to get in the West? They've they've tried playing inside out. They've tried playing outside in. Is there just a balance that they need to figure out in the middle? Or do you even feel like it doesn't matter what they do? They can't ever reach that level of eliteness out West. Personally, I feel like it's they they just don't have it. 
their saving grace last year was the Lakers weren't healthy. That's my that not speaking from fan standpoint or anything like that. Um, Lakers weren't healthy, so you know you squeaked out. Um, I don't. I believe they they play great regular season basketball. It's it's beautiful to watch. They play great team ball. I love Jordan Clarkson's role. I love how you know he embraces it. But the thing is, when they get to the postseason, it's like it's like a magician who's ran out of tricks, man. Like you 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 have all these tricks up your sleeve, and then once you start getting to those, you know, game fives, game sixes, it's like I think they figured this out now, y'all. I don't I don't know what else we can do. Um, we're shooting the three ball. That last year we it proved you live by the three, die by the three. When the three wasn't falling, the Clippers exploited that. And you got exposed in the worst way possible. Um, Donovan Mitchell, um, I believe how we talked about Paul George is, you know, he's a rhythm player as well. Like when he has it, granted, he was a little hurt, you know, but when he has it, he has it. But if he, he don't, Spider's out of there. So it, it just it just doesn't work. And then Mike Conley, I love Mike. He's a nice guy. But I feel like Mike is how we talked about Kimball on the Eastern Conference segment. Mike Conley, we've seen the best of Mike in Memphis. Like now he's a, you know, an honorable point guard. But the more that you need from Mike's role, you're not going to get. So I still have Utah being a top three seed just because they play great regular season basketball. They don't really have too many health, you know, problems on their team. And they brought back the same team, so the chemistry won't be a problem. Top three seed, in my opinion, and if it is a top three seed, they'll be three. On the cusp of Denver, you know, battling with Jamal Murray coming back, so some games that have slipped for Denver. But I do have Utah being a top three seed still, but being three nonetheless. Yeah, all fair points. A magician that runs out of tricks. I think that was a great perspective that you gave. Now, I'm looking at the roster. Adding Rudy Gay and Eric Pascal is huge. I think it gives them Swiss Army Knife flexibility in the front court. Now you can roll guys out in your front court that just don't spot up, maybe to give you something in the mid-range. They can give you some post-up opportunities because we all know how offensively limited Rudy Gobert is at the five. Yes, I do think with Donovan Mitchell, he's got – to become better as a playmaker. And yeah. I know that's a generic thing to say about a lot of guards who coexist in the NBA as score first impact players, but it's never a good sign when they're, they don't run pick and roll concepts with you as the primary ball handler, because you're not a great pick and roll passer. And we saw that against the Clippers with Mitchell. Now, Mike Conley, I think is the glue. And he makes Donovan's life a whole lot easier at the guard spot from not having to make all the important decisions. But the problem with Mike is he can't stay healthy. And and like Kyrie, once you start not staying healthy throughout your career, we have to pencil that in as a factor that's going to continue. And so that's just the fact of the matter. Now, what Quinn Snyder is able to get out of this unit defensively is phenomenal. They're always going to be a top five, top ten defensive team. I think the biggest thing that they can hope for in this season is – they just got to find that balance of their identity. Some games, Definitely. it's okay to ride the hot hand three-point shooting-wise, but other games, grinding it out in the mid-range, getting to the basket and just winning it at the free-throw line, being a defensive fort, you know, defensive ideology, that's fine. I think 
Utah has a unique chance. Maybe they could be the modified version of what the Detroit Pistons used to be back in the day in the West, where you shoot a lot better than you used to, but defensive identity is there. You're flexible in the front court. You can beat teams with a multitude of lineups. I think that's what they need to figure out because you have to play to the caliber of your roster. And let's be honest, they don't have the offensive firepower to just say, you know what, we're going to score 100 with Denver. We're going to score 120 with the Lakers. You just don't. And I don't yeah. think they're that good to play up tempo. Slow it down a little bit, grind it out a little bit, perfect your team identity in the half court on both ends. They should be a very good half court offensive team, and they're not. And a lot of that has to do with Mitchell struggling to play make and then Conley's health. So with Utah, yeah, third seed's legit, but I do feel this, and I'm going to ask you this as well. If they're not mm-hmm. able to achieve a Western Conference final berth, I, I really feel like that's a fair ceiling for them because they continue to be in the playoffs. They continue to Definitely. get the round two. Is it time to rebuild this team altogether around your star player, Donovan Mitchell? Yeah. If you can't achieve a Western Conference finals berth, um, it's time to shake some stuff up because they had all the potential in the world to, you know, see that last year um, where you had the Clippers on the ropes, you know, where we thought they had the Clippers figured out. And then you come out in the game seven and bomb like all the way. And I mean, yeah, man, like you don't, you don't have much room to keep saying, okay, we're going to keep bringing back the same team. You keep multiplying something by zero. You're going to get the same result every time. So yeah, man, if they don't if they don't see a Western Conference Finals berth, you got to go. You got somebody got to go. I agree. And I remember sometime last year, I looked up Utah's history as a franchise. They've had, I think, maybe seven or eight losing seasons in franchise history. So they're customarily known to being a playoff team that exists in the postseason as a factor, which is right. why. I'm never surprised that they bring back their same roster because if they feel like their same roster got them to the playoffs, they want that success to continue. But you're in a Western conference where you have a potential superstar, not even a superstar, all NBA caliber talent and Donovan Mitchell. It's time to plan towards activating levels of postseason success. That's more than just we're here to just be here. They need to do much more. And it's going to be interesting to see how they figure that dynamic out moving forward. Denver Nuggets are up next. They're a team. There's a lot of question marks about Jamal Murray, his health, but those will be answered in due time. Uh, mm-hmm. Nikola Jokic is an MVP player. He won the MVP last season. He's a foundational guy. We're going to see more of Michael Porter Jr. You sign a big contract like he did where you're going to be much more of a factor. With the Nuggets, Ace, we've been saying this a lot. Guys from at the whistle have been saying this for the last couple of years. The talent is there. Is it really simple? Is it simply just come down to – Mike Malone unleashing his lineup and having guys play multitude of factors for this team to succeed because the depth and the talent is there. The depth and the talent is definitely there. Um, one, he has no choice. I put it like this. He has no choice but to explore the versatility of Bobo this season. Um, I don't think he realized the gem that he had. Like, I was surprised that he didn't use Bobo to his advantage in the playoffs against the Lakers. 
Um, you have to. With Jamal Murray being down how he is, now is your time to test out different, you know, strategies, different pieces that you can place. Um, but aside from that, you have the roster to do what you need to do. Um, I think Aaron Gordon, he has no problem taking that back seat now. Um, because you're you're on a team in the in the nuggets that has been further than you have your whole career. So you have no choice but to listen. Um, Nikola Jokic is coming off of his MVP season. He has, you know, it, it was some naysayers, so you have to you have some stuff to prove. Um I like uh Monte Morris. Um, great piece. Um that's that's the X factor in the regular season for me with Jamal Murray being down. Then Austin Rivers, he has spurts where he, you know, shows himself, uh, kind of like his high school self. But <laughs> he, he shows spurts where he can score. He can shoot the three ball. Um, so, I mean, I, I have them as a, you know, top four, top five seed because I don't feel like they're absolutely terrible with Jamal Murray being down. Um, the leadership of Jokic on the floor, playmaking ability, um, his ability to stretch the floor, his shooting. Um, doesn't put them at a shortage, but um, it, it's going to come down to um, it's going to come down to Mike. It's going to come down to his coaching strategies and what he's going to do with his team. The last thing you said is the first thing I'm going to start off with. It's going to come down to Mike Malone. I think this is Mike Malone's most pivotal year coaching his squad of his young career as a well not a young career as a coach he's been coaching for a minute but this is the most pivotal tenure of his career with the nuggets to date if it doesn't work out this season it's time to move on because i feel like a new change of ideology with another individual that's there running the ship for this team could expand their ceiling even higher in the west now bobo and michael porter jr in my opinion they're the x factors because now we're going to get to see them play in much more enhanced roles, be factors on the team. We know what Porter Jr. represents as a scorer. He can score anywhere. I think it's time to have him be your second best scorer on the team. We know Nikola Jokic can get 25 and 15 in his sleep, but Jokic is also a guy that's willing to play make. And so we need to see more games of Porter Jr. leading the team in scoring. We need to see more games where Porter Jr. has it going. You play it through him. You need to play it through Porter Jr. more. No more playing it through Barton. No more playing it through Monte Morris, even though I think, like you said, he's an underrated piece. He's going to be the glue. You got to play it through this guy because he's a star. He's a star caliber player, superstar caliber player, I might add. And you paid him $200 million not to just be a third wheel. He needs to be a factor offensively. And then Bobo, just imagine the front court lineups that they can have with Jokic at the five and Bowl at the four. I don't think people realize Bowl can play the four and the five because of his athleticism, his agility, his ability to play and operate all over the floor. It's immense. The Denver Nuggets have the most versatile roster in the NBA. Let's just keep it above. They just they do. And now it's time for Malone to activate that. Do you have any idea how, like Greg Popovich would dream to have a roster like this with the Spurs? imagine what he could maximize as the head general on this team. And Malone needs to do that. This is reminding me a lot of just a more enhanced, a longer version of it. When Mark Jackson was coaching the Warriors, he had his guys, his guys were Steph clay. And ironically enough, Harrison Barnes, those were his guys. Kerr comes in, obviously keeps those three as the glue, but he incorporates Draymond. He incorporates an Iguodala when he comes there. Andrew Bogut becomes more of a factor. Like, 
he adds versatility and different options with the pieces all over the roster. This is what Malone used to do as well. We know your guy is Jokic. We know your guy is Will. We know your guy is Monte. But you need to incorporate Bobo and Porter Jr. more, especially in a season where Jamal Murray might not be back until after the All-Star break. Highly agree. I didn't uh, I didn't bring in Michael Porter on purpose. Um because to me, I mean, that extension was mighty hefty. It was mighty hefty. Um, to keep it simple, Michael Porter has to prove, why did they just pay you? He has to prove our, our number, really, Jamal Murray's our number one. Our number one is down. Because we're not running our offense solely through, you know, Jokic. We're not running it through him, but we but we are at the same time. Michael Porter has to show why you just were paid a $200 million extension. You have to prove that. And, I mean, I'm excited to see it. You said it best. They have the most versatile um, roster in the NBA. And if Mike knows what he's doing, we'll see. It. We honestly will. This is it from alone, man. This is as good as it's going to get this season. I know a lot of people might not look at it as such because a lot of people's defensive mechanism, especially Nugget fans in Denver, is we don't have Jamal. But you got Porter Jr., though. You have Jokic. You have a multitude of guys offensively, Aaron Gordon. We could keep going on and on. They got guys on their team that can make influential impact. And I'm going to say a rookie's name, Bones Highland. Don't do Bones Highland like you did Porter and Bobo. Play that man. He can get buckets. He is a bucket. And he needs to look at all offensive weapons on his roster as influential impact players that can attribute to success in the Western Conference. And we're going to end this Northeastern Division, Northwest Division, I might add. Last but not least, Oklahoma City Thunder. Yeah, they're a far cry from what they used to be when they had KD and Westbrook and Harden and Westbrook yeah. and Paul George, and yeah, it's a far cry. So, Ace, we can keep it a buck. Oklahoma City's not going to make the playoffs, but no, they have tons of draft picks, and they've utilized oh, draft picks. Plethora <laughs> <laughs> draft picks. The running joke on social media is, man, Oklahoma City's gearing up for that great eighth grader that we've never seen before. Man, so, <laughs> so the fact of the matter is, this season is all about shaping the identity for the future for Oklahoma City. What do you think the Thunder need to achieve this season to make it not look like they're the second coming of that process that failed in Philadelphia, but they're actually pushing towards something in the West down the road? Actually go out there and compete. You know what you're going out there with. Um, some nights are going to be ugly. Some nights are going to be uglier than ugly. And some nights are just going to be outright hideous. Um, but I like SGA. I like SGA a lot. I believe that'll be the um, centerpiece for the roster that comes. Um, but you can't hone in on winning right now. You you know you're not going to win right now. Um, but don't go out as a tanking team. You have draft picks, so there's no need to tank. Go out there and actually show that you have fight. Look attractive. Don't look like the black sheep. Just go out there, do your job, play to the best of your ability, and see where you finish in the season. 
hey, you never know. Injuries happen. You never know. You may end up being in, in a play-in tournament because it's a team full of heart. Nobody expected when Chris Paul was there that they would be in the position that they were in. However, I'm not giving them that credit because they don't have a Chris Paul on their roster. They don't have the roster that they had when Chris Paul was there. But what I am saying is go out there, show that they, they'll compete. I almost disrespected them and said they look like the Cleveland of the Western Conference. But it's it's a bit more promising. It's a bit more fight, um, a bit more attractive over in OKC than it is Cleveland. So I'll be having my eyes on the young guys. But um, good luck to you. I'm not expecting much out of you this season. But, hey, power to OKC. Yeah, I think what OKC's mindset needs to be is there's two different ways you could do a rebuild in the NBA. You can go the Philadelphia 76-year way where they tanked for four seasons to achieve draft picks that they got, Joel Embiid, Ben Simmons, but when they finally got them, they never looked at their success stories. Let's just be real. Or you can go the Boston Celtic way, which they blew up their big three. They got their young core in and they drafted, obviously hit on draft picks as the years went on. But every year that they were in the draft, they could look back to last season and be like, we're in the playoffs or, oh, we were competitive. Oh, we did this in the postseason. Oklahoma City has a chance to, in my opinion, be Boston caliber. Not right now, but they have a lot of young pieces on their team that they can attribute to some level of competitiveness in the West. Shea Gilders Alexander is special. Now, I do think he's kind of getting overrated because a lot of guys look at his statistics and are so efficient in what he used to be with the Clippers and what he is now. Phenomenal. The growth is astronomical. He's doing everything that all the scouts knew he could do at the pro level, but he hasn't won anything yet and he hasn't impacted his team to get towards winning. So I, I can't put all that pressure on him. I like Lou Dort's development. It's been very underrated. He came in as a defensive guy, and then one night in Utah, he dropped 42. And we realized, wow, the offensive upside is there. Um, Josh Giddy is going to be the X factor. They took Josh Giddy fifth overall, and we know deep down they did not want Josh Giddy. They wanted Cade Cunningham. His development this season is going to be influential in terms of solidifying his standing of being picked there because it was kind of a reach. A lot of people were shocked. He looked decent in the preseason when they played the Hornets, but it was a lot of simplistic offensive buckets that he got, a lot of dribble drives. He's, a, he's an underrated passer. Personally, in my opinion, I think his ceiling is Manu Ginobili. And Manu Ginobili is a Hall of Famer, but let's keep it a stack. Are you taking Manu Ginobili top five? No. But if he can kind of give you that level of impact, that's huge. I think Sam Presti needs to continue to have Oklahoma City playing winning basketball. When we've thought of Oklahoma City in the past, we do think of a winning organization. They need to continue that ideology this season. Yes, we understand you're not going to be competitive in the West. You're not going to be a playoff team. But a lot of people forget, through the first 28 games last season, the Thunder were, I think, two or three games under 500. And then they tanked. They don't need to do that this season. You have a ton of draft picks like me and Ace just agreed on. You don't need to tank that much. Understand that, yeah, it would be great to have that franchise player, but from where you are right now, you need to be focused on building an ideology and competitiveness because, hey, maybe you can end up like a Boston to where you can utilize those picks to get a star caliber player that's disgruntled down the road. Highly agree. Highly agree. I have no piggybacking. <laughs> I have none. <laughs> And we're going to go to the Southwestern division uh, full of a ton of teams from the Dallas's, the New Orleans Pelicans and 
we're going to start off with the Dallas Mavericks. They're a team last season. They went up 2-0 in the first round of the Western Conference playoffs against the L.A. Clippers. They took two games on the road. Luka was playing phenomenal. They looked destined, destined to win, to win the playoff series against the Clippers. And they lost every home game imaginable in that series and then lost the series altogether in seven on the road. They got Jason Kidd. Rick Carlisle said, I'm gone. It looked like Christoph Porzingis may have been on the way out. He's still there. Lucas clearly their best player. They want to build with Kristaps. They kept Tim Hardaway Jr. When you look at the Dallas Mavericks and this team in general, do you feel like for this team to take the next step, it's going to come down to how Jason Kidd's not just able to reach Luca, but it's also able to reach Kristaps? Or yes. do you think it'll take much more than that this season? I think Kristaps has been um, – the missing piece because it's almost as if you kind of put your, yourself in that imaginary moment where it's like okay what if Dirk had a Luca? because if we all thought KP would be the second coming to Dirk um like okay this is the unicorn that we've been waiting to see again but um it's going to come to because I mean that was the x factor in the playoffs if KP could have had just a glimpse of who he was in New York for two games in the playoffs, the Clippers would have had a first round exit. Simple. But it's going to come down to that. And I actually have Dallas. <sighs> this is my hot take for the night. Um, Dallas will be a play-in team because of a one-dimensional identity. Um, I think teams are starting to lock in and see the one-dimensional um, contain Luca, force somebody else to beat us type of deal. And they'll be in a toss up between them and Memphis when it comes to their division. Um, because Denver's hungry. They have Jared Jackson coming back. Um, they didn't have him at all last season. So you have that missing piece. And I believe they're hungry enough to overtake Dallas. So with that being said, I do see Dallas slipping. Um, unless you're able to incorporate KP, get his confidence up, he plays how he can, how we know he can play. You're looking at um, play-in potential. I don't even think that's an extreme take. I, I feel like this is a play-in team as well. Look, let's just keep it. Let's keep it a stack. Uh, I like Luca a lot, but Luca has a little bit of Westbrook in him. And not Westbrook in terms of he's inefficient, but Westbrook in terms of he wants to be the show. He gets tunnel vision and he forgets that one of the biggest things we raved about when he came out of his international homeland to play in the States was he was a pretty good playmaker. So it's not like he can't do it. You know, he go he plays in the Olympics and he had an Olympic trial run where he had like 18 assists. So it's like, yo, you take that talent, that skill set, bring it back to the Mavs. They can go far. I look, man. Kristaps didn't play well, but I feel like a lot of people piled on Kristaps unfairly without considering where he was coming from and understanding how Luca plays on the Mavericks. How Luca plays on the Mavericks is he has the ball in his hands. He obviously dictates where the ball is going to go. He does dribble it, really dribble the shot clock down to the ultimate limit, and then he decides with five seconds left, I'm gonna give it up to somebody to shoot a three, or I'm gonna take my step back three. It's not great basketball long-term. It's good to watch in the regular season, 
But in the playoffs, that's easy to key up on. And we understand why a Memphis, even though Memphis doesn't play that way, we understand why John Morant needs to dictate the pace of their offense. He's their best player. He's their best decision maker. But he operates under the confines of a true point. Luka does not. And he's ignoring the fact that Kristaps is a pretty good offensive player. You can utilize him in the pick and roll, pick and pop situations. You can help Kristaps get his own isos on the block or his own elbow touches. Tim Hardaway Jr., yeah, he's a streaky shooter, but he can get his buckets as well. So this is a team where they brought back their same guys. Jason Kidd got into Kristaps' head enough and convinced him to not pull a Ben Simmons, stay on the team. We're going to build a run. We're going to help incorporate you more in the offense. I'm just not sold on Luca buying in, and I'm not really sold on Jason Kidd as a coach. I think him as a coach has been overrated throughout his career. But if he can reach Luca like he did Giannis, which is Giannis, you can impact the game much more as a point forward. If he can do that to Luca, I think the expectations or the ceiling that Luca has as a player at that point four spot can be much more immense than Giannis because he's much more of a natural playmaker than Giannis was. It's just going to come down to this team. Luka's got to be a better playmaker. Porzingis has to be a factor. And then last but not least, they got to be better defensively. I, I think that's really important. Um, Luka does not play defense. That's fine. Well, not fine, but we get it. He can't. Like, he's he's limited. Chris Stops he has to be healthy enough to be a factor defensively. Uh, Willie Cauley-Stein, Dorian Finney-Smith, they got to be solid as well. Um, they're, they're guys that's on the floor. They got to make shots. But they have guys that are, I think are quality glue pieces, but they got to play better defense. Luca has to be more of an unselfish playmaker. And they got to put Porzingis back into the offensive game plan. He's not just a spot-up shooter. When healthy, he's special. He was called, still is called, the unicorn for a reason. Utilize him offensively like he is that. Definitely, definitely. Um, I'll only say one more thing. I definitely agree with you when it comes to um, – the defensive identity. Um, there were many nights in the playoffs where Tim Hardaway was your best player on the floor. Um, and I, and then you had uh, Finney Smith picking up some slack. And it's like, if Hero Ball was a person these days, it would be Luca. It's like once we entered that detrimental state of play, He's coming down court. As soon as he cross half, he's pulling. You know what to expect. Or he's going to do his best James Harden impression, dribble it out. And I'm going to make a decision, like you said, five seconds left. Um, which is why I have them placed how I do. Like, it's just not going to work. Teams can hone in and zero in on that and know what to expect. So, yeah, I'm not going to say it's going to be exciting to watch because we've seen this movie before. So. We'll, we'll we'll see. Yeah, we will see. And that's why I do feel like with Luka Doncic, he's become vastly overrated. And as much as Joaquin trolls, he did call this a couple years ago. He was like, man, y'all overrating Luka. And now we've reached a point where we are overrating him to where there's talks of he should be in the top 75 NBA players of all time. He should not. He's a talented player, but you got to get out the first round. And if you haven't yeah. got out in the first round le- yet, mainly because of you choosing not to trust your teammates and just hero it by yourself. I don't think we should applaud you for that as an overall player. There's levels to this. Obviously, individual stats are important, but what do your individual stats do in terms of translating 
two wins. That's the most important thing. Um, the Houston Rockets, they're in-state rivals. They're up next. They're in a rebuilding stage. But, you know, Ace, you can agree with this. They're in going to be a very fun rebuilding stage to watch. The yeah. most important thing we're going to really find out is how cohesive their backcourt is going to be with KPJ running the point and Jalen Green running the two. Ace, when you're thinking about this Rocket squad, the playoffs, I don't think is it's a possibility. I'm not going to say it's unattainable, but what's the main thing that they need to establish as a unit this season so they can fast track their rebuild in the future? When it comes to Houston, um, I kind of would like to see them have the same approach that we mentioned when talking about OKC so that you have some fight. Um, but as we mentioned with Detroit, focus in growing Jalen Green. Focus in uh, the role you want him to play over the next few years, the type of player you want him to be for your franchise. Um, toy around with it with the the uh, the personnel that you have. Um, I personally don't have playoff expectations for them because you're in the West. I mean, that that's that's the caption for this here segment. You're in the West. So I can't say that I see you as a play-in team because I kind of got my 10 already. Um, but it would be fun to see. But seeing, you know, the backcourt of KPJ and, you know, Jalen Green, it's going to be fun to watch. Um, I would like to see the uh, veteran leadership of Eric Gordon, um, you know, take place in that locker room. Uh, Kenyon Martin Jr. is going to be fun to watch. Um, I mean, it, it's going to be a fun team to watch. You still got John Wall, stuff like that. Like, it, it'll be fun to watch, but it's kind of like, yeah, we see what you got on paper and appreciate you for coming, but here's your gift bag. Send you home. <laughs> Yeah, it'll be a fun watch, but it's going to be a process to say the least. I will say this about John Wall. You did bring him up at the end. If you're able to keep John and just utilize him as a mentor to these young guys in the backcourt, do that. Um, Wall is not what he used to be, but he is a guy that can bring a lot of knowledge, experience, and he kind of coincides to what these guys are in terms of athleticism and cerebralness, to say the least. Developing Jalen Green is important. But I also think developing Kevin Porter Jr., being that point guard for them is important as well. He's a bucket. The next aspect of his game that he's going to need to learn and learn quickly is to be a playmaker for his squad because he's no longer on Cleveland. Who And Cleveland wasn't devoid of weapons, but you're no longer on Cleveland where it's like, I got to get mine. Now on this rebuilding team, there's a little bit more structure where they're literally telling you, the organization, the broadcasters are saying, we need you to be the playmaker for everyone else on this squad. And when you got Al Prince Segun, Josh Christopher, Eric Gordon, young cats all over, Gordon's more of a vet, you're going to have to be able to balance getting your bucket and then facilitating for others. And I think the skill set is there. They're going to be a very creative team to watch, but I think that's what they're going to have to figure out the most. Like in Detroit, Detroit's going to have to quickly figure out Kay Cunningham, Killian Hayes, do they fit? Houston's going to have to figure out, does does KPJ and Jalen Green fit? If they do fit, now you got something to build with. If they don't, you can utilize KPG as a more as a piece to mortgage for something else that coincides with Green's skill set. But Porter Jr. is going to be the intriguing factor. I think with Houston, what keeps them in the dark horse realm to compete for a play-in is their offensive upside with multiple players is a lot more enhanced than a Dallas or a Memphis. 
or New Orleans. It's just there. Like they have guys that can fill it up. But I think what hurts them is a lot of these guys are young. I don't see a lot of defensive stalwarts. They're going to go through a lot of peaks and valleys. We have guys on the team, like we stated, have immense all-star potential, but they haven't reached it yet. So got untapped all-star potential versus tapped all-NBA potential. We know how that's going to go. So establish a backcourt rapport, and then from there, formulate an identity out of that. They'll be fine moving forward. Highly agree. Highly agree. Yeah, I ain't got nothing else on Houston. <laughs> Up next, the New Orleans Pelicans. Now, this was a team last season everybody was hyped on in terms of living up to a potential play-in type feeling. They had Zion, they had Lonzo, they had Adams, they had B.I. All of a sudden, Steven Adams is a grizzly. Lonzo's a bull. Zion and Brandon are still there, but we'll touch base on this a little bit. I don't think their duo is going to last long term. They're going to be breaking in a lot of young guards ace this season. And in the West, having young guards go against veterans is a tough thing to battle through. Do you think figuring out their guard dynamic is important for them to even compete in the West? Or is it much, much more than that? It's much, much more than that. But the point you bring up is very important. Um, you have uh, Devontae Graham, who I really, really like in Charlotte. But you incorporate that. Give me one second. About that. Um, you have Devontae Graham, who is coming from Charlotte, who to me had some upside, but you put him in the West now, and it's like, ah, all right, guy. Um, are we going to see the same Devontae Graham that we've seen in Charlotte, or did we see the best of you already and now you've become minimized because you're up against a much better guard play? And the veteran, like you said, veteranship in the West is crazy. So that's one. And then two, like we discussed, like I don't even really have to spend too much time on New Orleans because like we discussed, I feel like they had their best squad already. Um, the best squad was, you know, Eric Bledsoe, Lonzo, B.I., Zion, Stephen Adams. I like that squad. The backcourt play, like you mentioned, of Eric Bledsoe, Lonzo, I didn't really favor. Um, but it was a defensive identity. It was about defense at that point. I'm, I'm not a fan. Um, I believe this will be the year that New Orleans will enter probably another lottery season. Um, they won't make the playoffs yet again. Um, Zion will probably explore being a bit more celebrity than, you know, in creating his individual stardom role. Uh, but that, that's about, that's all the glitz and glam that we'll see come out of New Orleans. And I love B.I., I do. But um, I feel like he's, he's reached his, his ceiling. And if he's going to show... It, that that ceiling is going to prove to be something he's going to have to leave and go somewhere else and show what he can bring to the table or new Orleans brings somebody else in. But with this roster, they're not going anywhere. 
Yeah, I'm looking at the guard spots. Thomas Sandoransky and Josh Hart are the oldest, and Sandoransky's surprisingly 29, and Josh Hart is 26. They're going to rely on a lot of 23, 22, 21, 20-year-olds 20 to come in, at, in their backcourts, respectively, and produce. Now, Alexander Walker is a bucket, and I think he's going to be able to hold his own and be solid for that team in the backcourt. Guys have been clamoring for him to get minutes since Stan was there. When he got minutes and was able to start, he held his own against the likes of Paul George. But that point guard spot's important. Never was a huge fan of Alonzo Ball in the half court, but now somebody has to take his place. Sadoransky possibly is going to be that guy they're going to lean on to probably be that veteran glue. But you're doing that because he's a stopgap. Eventually, you want Kyra Lewis to take over and be that guy. I liked him a lot coming out of Alabama, but he's, he's a couple years away. It's going to be a process. The biggest thing is Zion and B.I., do they work? I don't think they do. And I've never felt like they've been able to work the past few years. And the reason why is because one of the two have to have extensive range to allow the other to utilize the lane and their athleticism effectively. B.I. is more of a mid-range shooter who utilizes the lane to get his buckets as well on dribble drives. Zion is an athletic freak of nature that also needs the lane and the paint to be a factor. So you got to trade one of the two. There were talks that B.I. to Miami was a possibility. I think for the Pelicans, if at the deadline you're fading away from competing in a playing spot, you got to pivot on B.I. and get other aspects that can help make Zion's life be easier. They did have Jonas Valachunas, but goes back to what I just said. That's going to clog the lane even more. So now you really need your backcourt to be able to shoot the basketball at an unbelievable rate. And we'll see. Now, Willie Green, I like. And a lot of guys like Willie Green because he's going to be able to relate to the young guys. He's going to not be a drill sergeant as Sam Van Gundy was. And I think that's going to help get the best out of these individuals and have them play R night after night. But the biggest issue is it's hard, man. You can't roll out a young backcourt in the West. You can't. It's a recipe for disaster. Maybe you can get away with that in the East because the East is much more front court oriented. In the West, they got Curry, Lillard, McCollum, Westbrook, Booker, Paul, savvy vets that can get buckets. So unless you're a young guy is Anthony Edwards and LaMelo Ball, you're, you're, you're really taking a huge risk. Um, how do you think the Pelicans can figure out that dilemma? I think it's going to be a trial and error case. Um, I mean, I don't know how much more trial and error you need, but hey, man, if you can – you got a lot of guards to test out with. You got a lot of guards to play around with. Try to figure out what works first. Figure out what looks solid. You might not win these games when it looks solid, but don't get down on that. If it looks solid, ride it out and test it out until it until it fits. But until then, man, like like we said with Portland, man, time will tell. Time will tell. But the best thing you had it in that whole conversation we had on the Pelicans was try it out, and if it yeah. works, make. Take that as a W. I felt like with the backcourt they had of Ball and Bledsoe, they kept trying it out. And because it had mixed results, they just looked at it as, well, it's better than starting young guys and losing because our goal is to make the playoffs. But you have to also look at it as, yeah, you do want a young team like the Pelicans with talent to make the postseason. But you also have to understand it's a long game in the NBA. Nobody's expecting you to win the finals. Nobody's expecting you to come out the West. Utilize the young pieces that you spent draft capital on so they can become factors on your team. They need to do that moving forward. 
Um, the Memphis Grizzlies are up next. John Morant, like you stated, Ace, early on, you said he was going to be the best player in the draft. And let's be real, he's, he's the best player in the draft. I, he's better than Zion. I'm just being honest. He's better than Zion. Um, right now, it seems Eshton Stone, he'll be an all-star this season. Yeah. The Grizzlies, looking at how they played last night in the preseason against the Bucks. yeah, the Bucks didn't play Middleton, Giannis, or Holiday, but the Grizzlies played their guys. And it just felt like Morant was in midseason form. He was cerebral with it, playmaking. I think Steven Adams may be much more of a seamless fit than people realize. Stay yeah. tuned to that. Uh, everybody's locked in, GMs, people like Jaron Jackson Jr. is a guy people think is going to have a big year. How important is it for Jackson to finally live up to that top five lottery pick position that he was in in 2017 for this team to fulfill their ceiling out West? It's so important. It's so important. And it's unfortunate that it's coming off of a hurt year, but this is going to be Jared Jackson's most important year. Mark my words here. This is going to be his most important year. Um, cause this is the year that they can bust through that ceiling and show that they can, you know, this young core can not only compete, but should they stay together and get the right pieces in the near future, they can pretend. Um, now it was no secret. I love John. I love job from, from the start. Been watching him since Murray state. Um, Shoot, I wish I was watching him before then, but I love I love his ceiling. I don't feel like he's even reached. I feel like he's noticing where his role is in this league now. Um, taking on a bit of a uh, – I don't even want to call it Westbrook because he's not, you know, board dominant as Westbrook, but I will say it's John Wall-esque um, where his athleticism and speed of the game – how he can control the offense where that's concerned. Um, not going to take much off of um, – gosh, I just drew a blank. Dylan Brooks, maybe? Dylan Brooks? <laughs> there we go. There we go. Not going to take too much off of his plate um, because this is a big year for him too. We see he had the game of his life against Utah, and then after that it was ghosts. We need to see that Dylan, like, throughout the season, in the postseason. I mean, I'm, I'm hanging my hat on if they don't beat out Dallas, they are a top playing team. They're like that seventh seed. They're right there. Um, contingent on Jaron Jackson staying healthy. Um, and contingent on Dylan Brooks um, embracing his X-Factor role and Ja – for his sake, I hope he worked on the shooting. That would stretch the floor tremendously, and then you become this young powerhouse that nobody knows how to what to do with because you have athleticism, shooting, and you're going to defend. Yeah, completely agree. Completely agree with Ja as well. I think Jaron playing well is a plus. But I do feel like they created the roster to where they acknowledge that Jaron Jackson just may not live up to that draft billing that they positioned him as in his class. So they went out and got a center, Jonas last year, now Steven Adams, that could crash the glass and be a defensive maestro. You get 
better guard play with Morant, who can create shot opportunities, not just for his teammates, but for himself. Dylan Brooks is a guy that can play the two of the three. And Desmond Bain looked extremely nice in the preseason shooting the ball well. So I do feel like idealistically for the Grizzlies, everybody's healthy. Their starting lineup is going to be Ja, Bain, Brooks, Jackson, Adams. And then coming off the bench, Tyus Jones, a pro. Uh, Jared Culver possibly being a, a factor as a second unit scorer, I think can help him elevate and elongate his young career. And De'Anthony Melton's a young shooting guard that can get grimy with him to do a multitude of things. I think for the Grizzlies, it's going to be important. And I saw this in the preseason as well. They play up-tempo, and they play up-tempo really well. I think establishing that as their identity offensively is going to help. And then, like you stated before, John needs to develop his jump shot and be consistent with it. Jaron, just stay healthy, improve aspects of your game. I think that will take Memphis a long way, but as long as Josh's healthy and he's a factor, I think this is going to continue to be a playoff team for years to come. John Morant is basically, I'm not saying he's like this guy, but he has this type of impact on this team, kind of what Chris Paul was with the Hornets before they became a Pelicans when Chris Paul was Jaws age, 21, 22, 23, and made the Hornets consistently a playoff team. That's what Jaws going to do with Memphis. I think for this team to get to the next step in the postseason, he's going to have to continue to develop as a talent. And then the personnel around him is also going to have to do the same. I think it starts with a guy like Dylan, and it also helps that Jaron Jackson improves his skill sets as well. Most definitely, most definitely. Um, it's another time will tell situation. Um, but I think time will be on their side and we'll see some benefits come out of their, come out of their locker room. We for sure will. Last but not least in the Southwest division, the San Antonio Spurs, they're not the Spurs that we've known throughout this century. They don't have a Tim Duncan. They don't have a Tony. They don't have a Manu. They don't have a Kawhi. No, they have Josh Primo and Lonnie Walker and Keldon Johnson and DeJounte still hasn't developed the jump shot, Murray. I mean, they're still there. You know, <laughs> Yaka Pertle, he's back. Um, Ace, let's be real. Greg Popovich, I think his time in the league as a head coach is winding down. I think he's reached his ceiling as a coach in this league, but he's still here. And now he's got a barrage of guards to work with. This first team isn't a playoff squad. So what – is going to be, in your opinion, Greg's bulletin board achievement or bulletin board goal that he's going to convince this team to chase in the West this season? It's hard. Because what do you tell this roster? <laughs> if they're real with themselves, what do you tell this roster? Um, as great a coach as Greg is, I feel like, you just tell this team, man, like, you know, you trust trust the coaching because we all know he's a legendary coach. Um, we've seen him pull some tricks out of the hat that nobody probably ever would have thought of. But with this squad, man, and personally, before I get to that, I thought Pop would have, you know, hung the hat when Tim walked out. Didn't hang in when Tim walked out. Okay. Tony left. All right, I'm gonna hang it up. Manu retired. All right, <laughs> Pop's gonna walk out with him. Pop is still there. So, um, 
I'm not even going to lie to you. I don't know what you tell this roster in the locker room. I really don't. Um, I, I definitely have them out. They are not – they're not playing. They're not playoff material. I don't spend too much time thinking about San Antonio when I think about Western Conference ball play. Um, power to them just off the heels of the respect I have for Greg Popovich. But, hey – Ah. <laughs> that, that's all I got for him. That's all I got for him. And that's and that's crazy to just to just think when we're talking about Western Conference playoff factors, San Antonio's not even thought of just off of what exactly. they represented for decades. But looking at this roster, this team reminds me a lot of the basketball version of the New England Patriots. We understand what Bill Belichick represents as a coach in football, but Tom Brady leaves out the door, and now you kind of have to rebuild without a Tom Brady and you got guys that can play that belong in the league, but you're going to continue to have probably seven and nine, 10, eight win seasons. And you're not going to be factors. I think San Antonio, they're never going to tank. They're always going to be competitive. Um, it's crazy to think last season, they were a playing squad. Like as crazy as that was, they were a playing team that were this close to beating Memphis. I think the biggest thing that they need to focus on is just developing the guys that they've drafted. I think, Chuck up the deuces on DeJounte Murray, and I think they did by taking Josh Primo to be your point guard. He hasn't developed. I think mortgaging him to a team that needs a guard to be defensive-oriented can help in terms of what you can get back. Uh, develop Lonnie Walker, develop Keldon Johnson, who I liked, was kind of like a underrated piece in the Olympics. Um, Devin Vassell is a guy that can be a potential 3 and D guy. They have pieces on their squad that can formulate into being solid NBA players, but let's keep it real, they're not. A playoff team and I think Greg needs to just focus on developing the guys that's on his squad and I think look at this season as the final chapter there's been talks that he's wanted to retire ever since his wife died and I think this is the year you can close it out for good um, I think the Spurs are I don't know if they're in good hands moving forward because this is a lot of Hans on the roster but you got to trust that with RC Buford they're going to continue to build something moving forward your best days are behind you. And I think once you let DeRozan and Rudy Gay leave, you basically are saying you're done. And I think you are. Um, so I think there'll be a team throughout the season where if you have them on a road trip, they could be a potential trap game. You have them coming to your crib. You might sleep on them. They'll get you because Pop can coach and they got young guys that are going to play their hearts out. But that's about it. I don't really see anything else major for them moving forward. Yeah, I, I mean, totally agree with you. Use these games to – or use this season to develop your young guys. Um, it's been great, Pop. It, it's been great. You, you, you gave a lot to the game, but this is it. Last but not least, we're here to arguably, in my opinion, the most – probably going to be one of the more competitive divisions in the West, the Pacific Division – Got the L.A. teams, got the California teams in general, and then you have the team in Arizona and the Phoenix Suns. Let's start out with the team Ace and I have been waiting to talk about. It's finally here. The Los Angeles Lakers. The Lakers. The Lakers, man. They they went out and said, you know what? Last season was unacceptable. So we're going to clear house. We're going to swap Schroeder with Westbrook. We're going to get Melo, and Dwight's going to come back, and Ronald's going to come back. They're arguably, that's not even arguably, let's be honest. They're the oldest team in the NBA. Yeah. Um, but that veteran leadership is something they're going to bank on, not for the regular season, but in the playoffs. When you look at this team, Ace, obviously we can both agree 
it's championship or bust. Anything less is a failure. Yeah. However, can you acknowledge somewhat that there are holes on this team that you're kind of going to be fearful of when postseason play comes? There are definitely holes. Um, I think the major one is when it, when talking about the Lakers, um, health is always top because you have AD. Bron showed some signs of injury last year where everybody thought Superman doesn't break. That groin got to him. You know, every it wasn't as smooth as we thought it would be. Wasn't as major of injury as we've seen most legendary superstars or anything experience, but he experienced injury nonetheless. The holes that um that that's my major one, uh, where where the postseason is concerned, keeping AD healthy. Now I feel like the success will come if Frank knows how to rotate this roster. Frank knows how to um, not only – it's one thing to play AD at the five, but how are you going to use him at the five? How are you going to stretch the floor? Um, I, as old as Carmelo is, I don't feel like that – I feel like that that rhythm that he has will definitely be beneficial to the Lakers. Um, that mid-range game, the, the post-up turnaround game, the the bully bear that that Kobe used to call him in the post um, is going to have to show itself. I like the upside of Taylor. Um, however, the X factor for me for the Los Angeles Lakers is that of Malik Monk. Malik Monk will be um, the young guy that I feel like determines a lot. Now I like Kendrick Nunn. I like what he's bringing to the table. I like him in Miami, but I feel like he's going to serve more for a three and D guy. Strictly to me, Malik Monk is who you start. Malik Monk is the young guy that you let pull the the three. You let drive the lane, stuff like that. He's the young guy in that starting five that you let dictate some certain things. Um, They're, they're still going to be as old as they are. I feel like, as people are using that as a weakness, I feel like that'll be their strength. They know what they can do. They know what they can't do. Um, even with Russell Westbrook at his his age, he still plays full throttle. So um, getting AD and Bron to play at his speed, I say you let Bron and AD work out that five and four. Um, allow them to be the front court. Take that load off of Bron. Um, their health will go a long way. Because Brown isn't bringing the ball up. He's not required to do the most, you know, where he's been required to do it in past seasons since he's been with the Lakers. Um, a lot is taken off of his plate w- with the addition of Russell Westbrook. So even at their age, um, as a collective, they'll still be fun to watch. Yeah, I want to preface my statements by saying, piggybacking on what you, what you said, health is the key. And it's important for all teams, but if AD ever goes down for an extended period of time, their championship window is closed because AD is, we both can agree, he's the best player on the Lakers. They will go as far as he can take them. Now, this regular season is really important for LA because of, like you stated, Vogel identifying the best lineups possible that can produce 
different aspects of basketball basketball that's productive for this team. They got DeAndre, they got Dwight, they got AD. So they want to be big. They'll probably be big most of the time when they want to go up against a team that's just as big or a team that's small that they feel like they can just wear them out to where they'll get their smaller guys in trouble or just dominate them on the glass, points in the paint, things like that. So they can go big. They can also go small as well with AD being the five man, have LeBron, LeBron be more of a four and then have everybody else be a shooter. That's going to be something that they can, they can do as well. You also stated Westbrook is probably going to be the more primary ball handler, allowing LeBron to play more off the ball. He's key because Westbrook in the half court is going to have to become much more of an efficient decision maker. It's not more so about the shots he takes, the shots he doesn't take. It's about the plays that he takes or doesn't take. Sometimes not jacking up that three-point shot with 15 seconds left in the shot clock is a win. Giving it up to LeBron or AD instead while you move without the basketball to cut for easier deuce is better. Maybe utilizing pick and roll options with not just AD, but LeBron. Imagine a pick and roll with Westbrook and Bron. That's solid. And Westbrook, what he's going to have to do is the mid-range for him is important. If he can consistently get that mid-range down, it makes guys going under screens not matter. Because now in a pick and roll setup, They'll sag off of you. You consistently knock down that jump shot, that pick and roll, pick and roll offensive game you have with either LeBron, AD, Howard, DeAndre. It becomes deadly. Rotations, they matter. I do agree. Malik Munt's probably going to be a J.R. Smith for them, just a younger version. I think he's a guy who, as the season goes on, he'll be the two. He'll be a guy tasked with taking six to eight threes a game, but also utilizing his wingspan and athleticism to be a factor defensively. He's a guy that can be a factor, not just as a spot-up shooter. He could put it on the floor. He's going to be important. And I think for the Lakers, as this season goes on, identifying diverse lineups is going to decide what identity they'll be in the playoffs because a lot of people ignore this. The Suns and the Hawks were able to win games in the postseason because they just utilized recycled versions of their rotations that they established in the regular season. Suns, when they wanted to ride the Cameron Payne train in the postseason, and it worked because they established that report in the regular season. When Atlanta wanted to go super, super guard-oriented with Bogdanovich, Trey Young, and Herter, they did that in the regular season. So Lakers had to not just find an identity, but multiple identities. Because you got to understand that the regular season is just a tune-up for the postseason because every lineup we incorporate is going to be influential towards what we want to create and utilize as an ideology in the postseason. Definitely. I mean, in my closing statements, um, bringing back Rondo was my favorite move. Um, something that never leaves Rondo's game is playmaking. I don't think it ever will, um, where you have a lot of no, 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 no. Oh, okay, yes, moments. I've learned when watching Rondo and way before now, if he's your ball handler, you just sit back and wait for it to happen because he's already seen how this thing is going to play out. So I like having, you know, the playmaking of Rondo and the playmaking of Westbrook on this roster. Um, I feel like, Frank will explore having Westbrook and Rondo on the court at the same time. It's going to be real freaky, but I'm, I'm, I'm guarantee it's going to be great having Rondo, Westbrook, Brown, and AD all on the floor and not downplaying the playmaking of LeBron. It's just so much playmaking on this roster that goes unaccounted for. 
So that's what I'm excited to see and how, it, I mean, how they incorporate it with this roster. Yeah, lineups with Westbrook and Rondo are for sure going to be freaky, but like, like you as well, I am intrigued with this Laker roster. I really am intrigued. I think that the regular season is going to be important, way more important than a lot of people are realizing in terms of establishing a rapport with their squad. And I think it's going to work out for them as long as AD stays healthy. They're going to be fine. If AD is hampered, they're in trouble because he is the engine that makes everything go for that organization. Up next, the team that utilizes the same arena that the Lakers do, but they'll be moving out soon. The Clippers. Yes, the Clippers. Um, It's been two years since Kawhi decided to be a Clipper and they've yet to accomplish a championship, which has been their ultimate goal for a while. Kawhi is not going to be on the roster for a while because he's nursing a partial ACL tear, which means it's Paul George's time to shine. They've got teams, Ace. they got a lot of individuals that are saying, Ace, that the Clippers won't make the playoffs. And it's possible. Um, they're going to be riding the coattails of Paul George for a while this season. Is a playoff berth possible, unrealistic, and whether it's that, that, or in between, what is going to be the most important thing for the Clippers to establish this season to achieve some level of success? Two things. It's going to be the coaching of Ty Lue. It's going to be a gameplay and consistency of Paul George. Um, I mean, you trade away, you're really, in my eyes, the defensive leader in Pat Bev. Um when, of course, Kawhi isn't on the floor. Um, you trade away that you're still not that big on the front court. Um, Zubak being your biggest guy. Uh, he, while he has progressed his game, Zubak can't hang with the, with the best of them. So he's going to get cooked by AD. Um, DeAndre Aiden will take advantage of, of that matchup. Um, Jokic will take advantage of that matchup. Wiseman probably will take advantage of that matchup. So you have all of these, like, matchups that are out there. I mean, you have the Timberwolves with Cat. That your front courts have to match up where, where that is concerned. Um, Paul George is going to have to be able to rally his troops. If he, if he can't do that or can't serve to be a leader or serve to, you know, show that, I'm that number two guy because our number one is down. They're going to fail miserably. Um, Respectfully, I have them as a play-in team. I don't have them just completely out. But should they make it in, this will be a first-round exit because Kawhi, we know how he nurses injuries. We know how we've seen it in San Antonio. Um, We know how he, you know, even when he's not hurt all the way, we know how he load manages. Um, we, I don't see, I don't see Kawhi playing a minute this season. So if we're riding on Paul George, Paul George has to become a consistent player that we've seen in Indiana. Cause I feel like that's the last time we seen him strictly consistent. And that's because we knew that was his team. Um, since then, I feel like it, it's been an identity crisis. He's been trying to figure out, am I that guy? Am I what's going on? And then like you mentioned before we even got on the segment, he's a rhythm player. Um, if he can get in rhythm, cool. But those are my factors. Tyloo, Paul George, how can you how can you uh, exercise? Yeah, with Kawhi Leonard, I want to touch base on him. 
when he during free agency decided to opt in and take a lesser deal than the supermax that was an alarm to me telling myself that Kawhi is basically telling the world i don't know if i'm ever going to be the same again let alone this season so i'm going to take the money that's offered to me now so i don't try to play the one and one and when i do the one and one by not playing this season the clippers will just lowball me even more so i'm gonna take my money and we'll just see what happens. So the Clippers need to come into this season with the same mindset that Kawhi had when he took his deal. Kawhi's not coming back this year, so we need to play like he's not coming back by taking every rep possible as the last, the most important. And you're right, it starts with George. He's going to have to be a lot more consistent this season. He's going to have to go back into Indiana mode where I think his roster is much better than it was when Roy Hibbert, David West, and those guys were gone to Indiana, it's much better. But you're going to have to understand that your play, not just offensively, but on both ends, is going to decide the trajectory of this team moving forward this season. You touch based on Ivan Zubac. I'm not a huge Zubac fan at all. I feel like he plays a lot smaller than he is. So that means Serge Ibaka's health is going to be important because he never was really right the last year when they got him at the trade deadline. He was never a factor in the rotation he needs to be one. And then everybody else in this roster, I think Batoon and Morris are going to be fine. They're glue guys. They're going to continue to do what they do. Reggie Jackson's kind of become a glue guy to them. So now you're going to require your glue guys to play, to be more than just glue, to just be the important pieces to the sum of the parts. They're in a tough spot, which now goes back to Ty Lue. He showed, I thought, in the postseason that he could coach. He's more than just a LeBron James lapdog. He knows how to mix and match lineups. He knows how to get the best out of certain players. I mean, he made he helped Trey Mann fulfill his belief that he could score 30-plus points in a closeout game in the Western Conference semis, and he did that. Reggie Jackson played out of his mind when a lot of people thought Reggie's best days were behind him. Um, he was able to utilize Paul George's skill sets to where he showed shine bright. There was a game Marcus Morris Sr. led him in scoring. Luke Kennard, like it's It was crazy, man. Tyloo, he did his thing in the postseason coaching. He's going to have to continue to do that in the regular season, different lineups, diverse lineups, all of that will matter. I'm not going to write them off either. I think they're a playoff team, but I think they're probably going to have to get it out the mud. They're going to have to get it by winning the play-in. I think that's, I'm just being honest. And then yeah. once you do that, bank on Kawhi coming back. And then now if Kawhi comes back, you're getting a matchup against somebody that's probably better than you. But now with Kawhi there, you have a fighting chance. Um, they're another team I'm going to put up there with the Atlanta's a Denver where I think seating is important for the Clippers. They don't need to come into this year thinking, oh, we're vets. We can load manage here and there. And No, everybody needs to play as much as they can because you need to understand that every rep matters to get to where we're trying to get to because in the back of your mind, you're thinking Kawhi may come back, but in the front of the mind, you need to attack that he won't and prioritize every play possible this season. Definitely. Definitely. Yeah, that's all I got for him. The Clippers, man, like get it out the mud and play in, or see you next season. <laughs> Up next, we're gonna stay in Cali, the Golden State Warriors. There's been a lot of hype ace behind these guys. Clay Thompson's expected to come back eventually. December, Christmas was expected. Now it's been moved up to January. We don't know, but every time we see a video of Clay Thompson, he's shooting the basketball, he's jumping up and down, he's happy to be back, and it's good to see Clay being back. This Golden State Warriors team is in a tough spot. They have guys like Curry and Draymond, Andre Iguodala, still are in championship mode. They still believe they've got a couple more good years left where they can achieve a title, but you have a lot of consular young guys 
just trying to establish their footing into the game itself. Clay and Wiseman are important because eventually when they come back from their respective injuries, they're going to be important factors on this team. Until they do, what does Golden State need to attest as being the barometer for them until they get their full core back during the season? Until they get their full core back, Golden State has to embrace that dog mentality that their young core featuring Steph um, showed in the play-in. Um, I think they realized the identity and who they really had and who they could be a little too late. Um, I think now they know who they are. And then you have the momentum and the excitement of having Clay coming back. So it's like, let's go here and play for him so he doesn't have to work too hard when he does come back. Respectfully, I have Golden State as a six seed. I feel like they'll be in battle with um, Portland. Um, Dame will grow tired. Dame will grow weary. Dame will grow frustrated. Um, because one, not only did you stay, but you don't have a better roster than you did last season. Um, with I have, like I said, I have Denver slipping to four or five. I feel like Golden State fits in that six seed. Um, making them solid and you know we'll see probably see a first round golden state utah series and that that's where i hang my hat on golden state yeah man golden state i like their roster a lot but i do think if they want to fulfill their championship window that they truly all feel they have we both admit that clay and wiseman have to come back and be factors i'm not saying they have to be all world factors, but they got to come back and be important pieces. But until then, can they hold the fort down until then? Yeah. Uh, they still want to adopt a small ball identity, but I think they understand that they're at their best when they have a level of flexibility in the front court. I think Kaminga and Moody are going to be important rookies in terms of coming in and filling a staunch role. Jordan Poole has gotten a, a longer leash of being a scorer, of being a shooter. I think he's going to fulfill that very well. Curry, we know what Curry's going to do. He's going to be an all NBA talent. I think Draymond, though, had a down year last year. And I think him coming off of the Olympic season that he had, he looks a lot more in shape. He looks a lot more poised and ready to come and attack the season. I think him and Iggy are going to be important, not just establishing a defensive identity, but also offensively setting up those young guys in terms of helping them get quality looks. We know when you're a young guy in the NBA, Everybody can get a bucket in the NBA, but for young guys, at times, it's hard to kind of get your own shot off the dribble because you're facing immense defensive players, immense defensive schemes. It's going to be hard, so you're going to need your vets to kind of give you some easy buckets as possible. They're going to be able to do that, but I like the Warriors roster a lot. Like you stated, they understood their identity later in the season. They should utilize the play-in as a way to rally the troops and achieve their level of success moving forward. I think a great litmus test for him is going to be having the Lakers out the gate. Um, I think we all expected out the gate playing the Lakers. Clay was going to be back. He's not going to be there, but I'm not going to expect them to beat the Lakers on opening night. But if they can make it a tight game and leave it, understanding that they have levels of play that they can build upon, that's a plus. But I like the roster, and as long as guys stay healthy, they're a solid playoff team for sure. Most definitely. Um... Yeah, man, I think uh, if they can keep it tight, actually reconstruction what I got going on over here, I could see if Denver stays solid, I could see Golden State slipping up to five. Memphis at six, 
leaving Dallas to be that top playing team. So, um, hey, man, I, I, I've always liked Golden State. So it, it would be fun to watch Steph rally that young core and do something special and then Clay slips right back in and then they get back to work. For sure, man. I mean, Golden State, if they could kind of be what San Antonio was before they fell off, which is have that all-NBA talent in his prime and the young pieces around him and put it together, that's a great place to be in because now you have a blend of the vets who still got it and then the young guys trying to build a rapport in the league. That's going to always be great basketball to watch. Uh, Two more teams left before we wrap this up. Going to touch base on the Suns. They are a squad that made – that won the West made the finals, lost in six. Now we're back. This season, a lot of guys are riding off the Suns in terms of being a team that could be a factor in the West once again. They brought back the same core. They did add JaVale McGee. They were able to retain Cameron Payne. Devin Booker's obviously still there, riding high off the Olympics. Uh, Chris Paul's a guy that's been able to play particularly well for them as well. When you're looking at the Suns, Ace, is this a team that you comfortably feel like can be a factor in the West? Or do you see their playoff season last year as a fluke to where if they're able to run it back next season, this season, get back into the playoffs, they're a team that might not even make it out of the first round? I won't disrespect the Suns like I didn't disrespect Milwaukee. Um, But both teams have similar stories. Um, If it wasn't for injuries – I don't see them where they went last season. Um, injuries were on their side. Lakers slipped down to play in. AD comes back, then leaves again. Um, they face, you know, the Clippers, and then they get just they just they just had the better end of the stick the whole postseason. I'm not gonna call it a fluke because they figured it out. They knew what their roles were. Each player knew what they were doing night in, night out. Um, however. Should people stay healthy? Should things go according to plan? I mean, I do have the Suns as my number two seed over New Utah because they have momentum. They're riding on momentum. They're riding on a, a great season last season. Um, DeAndre Aiden is finally embracing his role with the leadership point guard in Chris Paul. I like it. Um, D-Book, everybody's confidence is riding high. but. Um, I don't see them topping the Lakers if the Lakers stay healthy. Um, and, of course, everything on this preview is just everybody being healthy, everybody, you know, how things are. Um, I don't see them topping them. But um, should Chris Paul stay healthy and everything, I do see them as a number two seed um, with a rematch in the Western Conference Finals and actually it proving is- what you made of. Yeah, and I think that's that's fair. I, you know, but the Suns, they're honestly the way their team's constructed and the way they played last year, they're everything that Utah and Denver aspires to be but haven't been able to become. And the main reason with that is because they just have better players. Let's just be honest. They're better. They're a more cohesive fit, and they have a better coach in Monty Williams that's willing to try everything that's humbled in terms of his coaching experiences in the past has made him realize these opportunities come a dime a dozen and you got to make do with what you have and prioritize every player as being the sum of an important part. Now with the Suns, listen, Chris Paul is important to this team. 
He takes a lot of pressure off of Devin Booker. He basically made DeAndre Ayton into a semi-max player. He's made Mikel Bridges become much more of an offensive factor. He makes a lot of guys' jobs easier offensively. So his health is important. He surprisingly stayed healthy throughout the season, kind of succumbed to some scary injury pitfalls in the playoffs, but he survived them. He's important. Um, as long as he's healthy, this team's going to be able to fulfill what they need to. The thing that they missed the most, in my opinion, in the finals was a backup center. They got that in JaVale McGee. I think he's a guy that can give you quality minutes to boot. Cameron Payne, if he continues to achieve his player role successfully, which is basically he was a backup point for them, a guy that they could play with Chris Paws and other ball handler, that's phenomenal. Devin Booker, if he can achieve an MVP caliber season, I think that's going to go a long way for this team being successful because now that'll allow him to unlock the complete dimensions within his offensive game. And I think things that he could add to his skill set, a lot of people sleep on him being a good shooter. He can shoot that three ball very well. We know he's phenomenal in the mid-range. He's phenomenal in the post. Being a better playmaker is going to go a long way. And then doing the little things, setting screens, being more of a proactive defensive player. He's locked in and he wants to achieve greatness. He's never going to shy away from a shot. He thinks every shot he has in his hands, he can make, he can take. That's important as well to him as well. DeAndre Aiden, um, he came up small in the finals, um, and that's not a knock against him because Giannis was killing him, and Giannis is a star. He's, he's, he's great. He's a legend already. But I do think he can add a jump shot. That can help. I think he can add some duality in his post moves offensively. And then defensively, the biggest knock on him was coming out of Arizona, has the intangibles to be a factor defensively. It's all about utilizing his intangibles to be a defensive factor. He shot away from a lot of contact. He shot away from a lot of rim protecting duties in the finals. It didn't look good. And you got a guy like JaVale McGee to kind of take that role if Aiden gets in foul trouble or is ineffective defensively, but you need your number one overall pick to be the David Robinson clone that everybody says he is, which is be athletic offensively and be a factor defensively. But they're legit. I'm not going to write the Suns off as a team that's fake. I think their team is going to be very well, do very well in the regular season, but the litmus test is the playoffs. And hopefully everybody in the West is healthy. And now the Suns can go against healthier multi-divisional facets in the Western Conference. And then we'll truly see what they really are made of. Highly agree, my man. I mean, uh, we, I mean, again, hate to sound redundant, but time will tell. Um, should everybody stay healthy, we'll actually see if y'all is for real. Last but not least, before we wrap this segment up, the Sacramento Kings. The Sacramento Kings. I know what you're saying, the fave. Look, man, the Yo Kings, they, they haven't been to the playoffs in years. But I feel like this is the year, man. This is the year for them to make noise in the play-in and to get there. They've taken a unique approach, to say the least. They're adopting the – I like to call it the Oklahoma City Thunder philosophy when they had Chris Paul, Shea, and Dennis Schroeder. They're going the three-guard lineup with Fox, Halliburton, and Davion Mitchell. It looked like Buddy Hill and Marvin Bagley were destined to be traded, but they're still here. And according to sources, they're going to ride with the roster. They added Tristan Thompson. I think he's going to be important in terms of being a guy that can be a rim protector and a rebounder. But Ace, the West is tough. It's very tough. The Kings, do you see them being a factor in the playoff conversation? And if so, what will it take for them to live up? to the hype 
Oh boy. Oh. It would have been safe to ask me these things had we not talked about everybody before them. Um, all the cases that we have made for everybody that we talked about before them are solid. While they do have a young core, I feel like this will be the year. What you said is not a far reach. I, I can see where you're where you're saying that. However, because the West is so tough, I feel like they will slip out of that play in contention. Um, I like Halliburton. I like Davion Mitchell. Um, just speaking on guys that haven't been able to really prove themselves yet. Um, we know what De'Aaron Fox is going to do, full throttle, speed ahead. Marvin Bagley, I like him. Um, Tristan Thompson is an in interesting piece. Um, the championship caliber defend, uh, defender that he can be um, will play a factor. If they are going to do that, I feel like you explore Bagley at the four um, because he, he can shoot the mid. He can stretch the floor a bit more. Um, let Tristan run that five. Um, the three-guard tandem that you brought up, um, I feel like let Halliburton run that uh, three spot. Let De'Aaron Foxy run that one. Um, buddy, run that two. We, we Do what you got to do. But I got Sacramento finishing 13th, man. It, 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 it was a great season. It was nice to see what y'all could do. But this ain't it. It ain't it. 13th. Ah. The pain. Listen, Sacramento, uh, this is the highest I've been on this team in a while. I, I like De'Aaron Fox a lot, so it was always good to be like, look out for the Kings because of De'Aaron. But looking at their roster, I feel like this is the best roster they've had in a while. Now, the problem is in the West, there are a lot of teams like the Kings, the Wolves, um, Pelicans, the Grizzlies, the Mavericks, we stated, that have rosters kind of akin to the Kings in terms of they're young, they're up and coming, they have all-star caliber pieces, so they're all going to be gunning for play-in opportunities. I think the Kings can be a play-in team, can be a playoff team if Luke Walton does a better job with his rotations. He hasn't been a great coach in terms of maximizing rotations there. Marvin Bagley and Buddy Hill, they have to buy in. They're still on the roster, and right now and during the preseason, during practices and whatnot, they look like they're involved, they're invested. If they buy in and Luke Walton aligns his rotation to their skill sets, I think they can be able to fulfill their potential. That means playing Buddy at the two because he's a shooter and never, ever again playing Marvin Bagley at the five. He sucks at the five. He's not a great rim protector. He's not a great defender. He needs to be the four, like you stated, because of the offensive upside he can provide and you can hide him a little bit more defensively. Um, this is a team where I don't think off rip they'll have Davion play with with Halliburton and Fox. They're going to want Davion to kind of adjust to the flow of the NBA game with the second unit. But I do think eventually he'll become a factor within their closing lineup. The main reason why they got him is because of defensive energy that he provides. I feel like Davion's ceiling is Drew Holiday. And if they can get a Drew Holiday type player out of him that's defensive first and can give you 15 to 18 points offensively, that is a plus. The Kings are in a they're in a good spot, but they're in a unique spot because you're in a division where Clippers, Suns, Lakers, Warriors, they're, they're better than you just based upon what they provide. So they're going to be competitive. They're going to be a tough out, but they're a playing team to me. And I think they will be a factor in the playoffs, to say the least. And may, maybe De'Aaron Fox can finally get that elusive all star berth that he's been chasing. He's he's a player that is very talented that I think can fulfill his potential. 
But the only way you can get success out on the West is your team has to play well. And Sacramento as a unit has to do that for him to get that accolade. Highly agree, man. I would love to see you get some excitement. Love to see you be happy for your young guys and in that royal purple. But uh, I don't think this is going to be the year, Barry. It's, it's, it, it, it's going to be fun to watch. But, yeah, man, that 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 right there is it's a tough spot because of the division that you're in and the conference that you're in. Yeah, tough all around. Doesn't help that Lou Walton is somehow still the coach. Why? Why is he still the coach? But, hey, got to make do with what you have. And that's what, what you got. Is going to hope to do so. Now, before we close it out, Ace, want to touch base on the individual awards that you probably have. We've wrapped up the East. We've wrapped up the West. So I'm going to go award by award and just ask, who do you have winning these awards and why? Let's start off with most valuable player. Who do you have coming out on top on that award in the NBA Ace? KD. Kevin Durant will win uh, yet another uh, MVP. Um, just off the heels of finally being able to display what he can do with a mostly healthy roster. Um, he'll stand out and he's playing a full season. So I have Kevin Durant or my my disclaimer, Anthony Davis. It'll be that. Okay. Okay, KD and AD, not bad picks, not bad picks. For me, MVP, in my opinion, uh, I don't think KD's a bad pick. Um, I think Giannis is a strong possibility for sure coming off the MVP, coming off that championship. Um, I think he's going to continue to put up similar numbers, and now I think the voters are comfortable maybe giving him a third MVP because he's finally had that postseason success that's eluded him. Um, but you know what? I'm going to pick, pick Jason Tatum. Um, I think Jason Tatum is going to have a comeback season. Uh, he had really a down year last year. I know it might not pop up in the stat sheets because his stats are phenomenal. But I'm going to ride with Tatum because he's going to provide um, that defensive acumen that he can he can show because of his intangibles. And then offensively, we know he's gifted. I think Boston is going to be a lot better. I think Boston is going to be a sneaky three or two seed in the East because Philly's going to take a step back. I think Brooklyn's going to probably going to be conserving a lot of their guys for the long haul. I think Boston's going to go all in because of the new coach that they have. Tatum and Brown are going to be relied upon to kind of help Boston fulfill that potential. I got Tatum getting that MVP this year after having a career season. So got MVP out the way. Now we're going to go defensive player of the year. Rudy Gobert has been the guy to win that award. I think the last two seasons, does he get dethroned? And who do you no. have doing so? <laughs> no, no. Rudy Gobert shouldn't have got it back to back. No. Um, I feel like this year, should he stay healthy? And this is why I threw him on the back end of the MVP. This will be AD's defensive player of the year. Uh, year. Um, he, I feel like he should have been, um, been had the award. But I feel like health played a part and it dwindled his chances. Um. But should he stay healthy, play the majority of the season, he's finally going to get the praise he deserves as the lockdown defender that he is. Yeah, I don't think AD is a bad pick. Um, AD, when he's healthy, is phenomenal at the power forward spot because of what he provides as a versatile scorer and as a defensive player. I'm going to go two for two in the East, though. Bam Adebayo, I think, is going to win defensive player Ooh. of the year. 
And the reason why I'm going to say Bam out of bio is because they formulated that new big three in Miami and Bam's going to be the guy that's going to be required to be the best out of all of them because he's younger and his defensive versatility is phenomenal. I think you'll see him be a double digit rebounder, be a guy that maybe average two blocks a game, get some steals. He's a Swiss army knight at the five spot. He's going to also showcase an upskill of offensive productivity as well. When we think of Miami, when we think of Spolstra, when we think of the Heat, we think of defensive identity, we think of defensive grit. Bam's going to lead the charge in that realm. I think Bam wins defensive player of the year. Now, sixth not man bad. of the year. Not, not, not bad pick so far. Sixth man of the year, though, in the NBA. Ace, who do you have winning that award? Oh, boy. Oh, boy, oh, boy, oh, boy. I got Mr. Clarkson. Okay. Mr. Jordan Clarkson. Um, I like what he brings to the table for Utah. I feel like he's solid. Um, you know, uh, I feel like he's not Lou Will. <laughs> but um, what he brings to the table, he's finally embraced who he is, and he's comfortable in it. So I like him. I, I got Jordan Clarkson, my sixth man of the year. Yeah, Clarkson, he won it last year for the Jazz. Wouldn't be shocked if he goes back-to-back on that run as well. Sixth man of the year, it's tough. Um, when we think sixth man of the year, we think of Lou Williams. We think of Jordan Clarkson. I'm, I'm not Jordan Clarkson, but now you can think of him. He's won it. Yeah. Think of Lou Williams and Jamal Crawford, I might add. Now, Jake Jamal Crawford. Crawford's yeah. no longer in the league. Lou Williams is in the league, but I think his sixth man of the year days are behind him. Sixth man of the year, this is a tough one. I'm going to go and possibly say uh, it depends on if he starts. I think he will. So I'm not going to say Reggie Jackson because I think yeah. he's going to start for the Clippers he, because they, they need that scoring punch. Um, six man of the year. Uh, man, it's tough. I'm going to go with. Hmm. 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 Toughy, toughy. Uh, Cameron Payne. I'm going to go with Cameron Payne. Here's why. Campaign. Uh, Cameron Payne. Campaign. Um, he was basically their sixth man in the playoffs, and he played phenomenal. I don't think he's ever going to upstage Chris Paul and Devin Booker. They're going to have lineups where he's going to be on the floor. So, in essence, he'll be like that sixth man that Lua Crawford were on their respective teams, where he's a sixth man, but he's always with the starters. And when they have that closing lineup, he's someone on the floor. So, I'm going to go with campaign. He's going to ride high from that postseason high he had. Guys are going to be on the lookout for him even more. He's getting paid to basically be, in essence, a third guard for them. And he's going to play at a high level to live up to that contract. I got campaign winning six men of the year. Now, most improved. This is always hard to do because when we think of most improved, in essence, we're thinking of NBA players that either were drafted as – role guys, but they become more than role guys, they become solid players, or we lean on a guy that got drafted, never looked up to the hype until much later in his career. Ace, who do you have winning six men of the year? Most improved. <laughs> I mean, most improved, uh, my bad. Most improved. No, you all good. You all good. Um, ah, boy, oh, boy, oh, boy. It's a tough one. It is. I got Lonzo Ball. Okay. Lonzo Ball will win most improved player of the year, and here's why. He's in a role in Chicago where 
he can kind of rebirth himself. Your confidence um, can be launched again. Um, you can finally embrace that point guard role that we thought you were when you were drafted. Um, you were on the decline for a while, especially when you went, you got traded for AD. Um, yeah. The spotlight was taken off of you. Now you're in a situation where the Bulls haven't been to the playoffs. Um, are you going to shine as, you know, the triple-double threat that you can be? Or are you going to stay in that same light? I feel like now he can trend and become the most improved. And it's kind of been the trend for ex-Lakers to win these type of awards because you have Brandon Ingram who, you know, catapulted his career when he got to New Orleans. You have Julius Randle who won it um, in, New, in New York. Um, so I feel like this year will be Lonzo. Yeah, uh, I'm, I'm going to go with Lonzo too. Uh, I think OG's probably a, OG Ananobi's probably a dark horse. But I'm going to go with Lonzo because I think all Lonzo really has to do is just lead the team to the playoffs and have solid numbers behind it. Uh, I, I know we're not expecting Lonzo to average 25, 8, and 7. No, we're not. But no. if he averages 12 points, 5 assists, 4 rebounds, and he's the point guard of a fifth-seeded Chicago Bulls in the East, you got to give him most improved. His career has been a roller coaster to say the least. We all expected him to be um, this all-star caliber point guard. He was never able to fulfill that due to a litany of situational things that were really out of his control. Some of them were, some, but most of them weren't. Now he's in a place where Chicago's giving him the keys to be the point, and I got him as my most improved as well. I think he's going to be one of the key cogs for the Bulls to become a playoff team once again in the East, and that's going to be the main reason why he wins most improved two left let's go coach of the year um usually the coach of the year goes to the team that has the best record led by that coach um who's able to come out as the coach of the year now we did have a unique situation with the knicks tom thibodeau won coach of the year and i feel like that was deserved because no one expected the knicks to be a playoff team last year they won 48 games i think which is phenomenal who do you have ace taking that award from thibodeau this season If he can exercise his roster the way that we know he can, the way that we know he should, and there's still a top five playoff team in the West, Mike Malone will get coach of the year. Um, I'm, I'm set on that um, because where you're hobbled and can you shine and show that you really didn't decline, I feel like Mike Malone will win coach of the year. Mike Malone's not a bad pick. They have the roster for them to do that. Uh, I am going to go with, uh, and he arguably probably should have won it last year, and he'll have a chance to do it. I think Monty Williams wins coach of the year because I think the Suns finished as a top two seed in the West. And I think once they do that again, they'll give him the award that a lot of people feel like he was slighted of. I don't think you could have went wrong with either Williams or Tibbs. I feel like Tibbs deserved it more because we all thought the Suns would be a playoff team. Now, we didn't expect the Suns to be the two seed in the West, but we all expected them to be a playoff squad. No one ever anticipated the Knicks getting there. When the All-Star break was, you know, surpassed, we looked at the Knicks and were like, yeah, they're doing cool, but look at that schedule that they had coming up. They survived that one up a boatload of games and got to where they were as a fifth seed. So I think Monty leads the Suns as a top two seeded team and he gets coach of the year. 
Uh, last but not least, before we wrap it up, rookie of the year. Uh, this is probably arguably one of the better rookie classes in a while. You can't Definitely. go wrong with a litany of guys. This award has been known to be given to individuals that dominate the rookie sphere as scores. So the award usually goes to guys that are on teams that don't make the playoffs. But Ace, do you see that trend continuing? Or maybe a rookie gets it because he's one of the key cogs to helping his team get to the postseason. I see it going to Jalen Green. Um, I've always had I've always had a favor over uh, the number two pick. They always have something to prove. And over the last few years, it's all it's been kind of close as to who's going number one, who's going number two. Um like for lat like for John Morant and Zion Williamson, um I feel like it was just Zion size that was the tipping point and was like, well, the, the hype around him. He goes to Duke. I mean, the storyline is great. Let's take Zion. But um, I do feel like it'll go to Jalen Green because he plays with that chip on his shoulder. Now the determinant factor is if he doesn't get to Hollywood and he doesn't get to in over his head, actually stays true to the game. He will win rookie of the year and stay true to his craft, slow down, get the tempo, and actually be willing to learn and prove that. He will beat out Kay Cunningham. Um, but I wouldn't be surprised if Cade walks out with it because, I mean, what other scoring options do you have in Detroit? So his numbers will be sky high. Um, but I like Jalen Green for rookie of the year. Yeah, Jalen Green's not a bad pick at all. He's a talented player, and he'll score a lot of points. I'm going to go unconventional. I've been a little bit unconventional with these awards so far, and with Tatum being MVP, Bam being DPOY, <laughs> and campaign winning six men. I'm going to say Scotty Barnes of Toronto, and here's why. I think the Raptors have a unique chance of somehow finding a way to get to the playoffs in the East. And what I've peeped from Scotty in summer league and in the preseason early, he does a little bit of everything. So no, he'll never have a Jalen green type night where he scores 30 or a K night where K gets a triple double, but you look in the box score and you're like, dang, Scotty got 15 points, eight boards, seven assists, four steals. And that adds up over time. And when Toronto, if Toronto makes a playoff push, the thing we'll all commemorate, commemorate and remember is the impact Scotty Barnes had. And that will help him win the rookie of the year. It'll remind me a lot of when Malcolm Brogdon won it over Joel Embiid. Um, Embiid had the numbers, but mainly because Embiid was hurt, his numbers were inflated. But Malcolm Brogdon had an impact as a rookie that wasn't enhanced on the stat sheet, but he did the little things well, which helped the Bucks make the playoffs in his rookie season as a second round pick. So I think Scotty will have that same level of impact. I see him winning rookie of the year. Uh, this was a great segment. Ace, it's great to have Definitely. you on to talk back. Thanks basketball. for having me, man. No, no problem. No problem at all. Um, the NBA season will begin guys in 13 days, October 19th to be exact. That's my birthday. So, Hey, birthday. New season. Great birthday I mean, gift. Great birthday <laughs> gift. So, <laughs> Can't wait for this season to come around. I got NBA lead pass. I'm going to try to check out as much games as I can to get as much intel I can get on these players. Um, hope this is a great listen for you guys on the Western Conference. This is episode 31. I'll be back with episode 32 down the road. It's great to kick it with my man Ace. Before I go, though, Every Ace, time. anything you want to say about other things you're looking for in this season and how you enjoy this pod? Um, 
I really don't have too much. Um, everything that I, I we spoke on today uh, or tonight, um, I stand on. I'm excited to see how it's going to play out. Um, you know, speaking from a fan, go Lakers. But as do I, I'll be tuning in to as many games as I possibly can. Um, yeah, man, like, let, I, I can't wait. October 20th, I mean, October 19th is, is around the corner. So, you know, let, let's get to it. <laughs> Let's get to it, indeed. This pod will be uploaded Thursday, Thursday. So if you're hearing it, it'll right. be on a Thursday. Um, many blessings to all you guys listening to this. Yes, I'll be indeed. back with a new episode. Uh, stay tuned and see you later. Peace.